Hey, how's it going? My name is Brandon Larishan. And I'm Dylan Haywood. And we wanted to welcome you to the second official episode of the Out of Tune podcast. Uh, this time we're going to be talking about something that we probably should have done a few weeks ago, and that's going to be um, a best and worst of 2016. Um, obviously, there was a lot of mishaps that happened in the music community in 2016, from artists dying to uh, bands breaking up. But uh, we think there's also a lot of good things that happened uh, last year, and uh, we're going to be sharing some of our favorites. Yeah, we're also going to be talking about um, what we've been listening to, um, this day in music, and uh, tour stories. Um, so we're going to try something new. Um, we realized that our first episode, our first official episode was an hour long, and maybe that was a bit too much for people to digest right at once, and we're, we're trying to build a bit of a fan base. So um, we might switch to doing um, two half-hour episodes every week. Um, we're going to try a Monday, Thursday, maybe. I think we're going to try, yeah, for Monday and Thursday. Yeah. Um, you'll probably be listening to this one on Monday. Um, so, yeah, we're just going to try something new, see how it works, and uh, hopefully you guys um, respond to that really well. I mean, you uh, you guys did for the first uh, two episodes, well, the sampler and, and the first official episode, and uh, we're really appreciative of that. So... Um, Want to jump right into the first uh, topic, which is what we've been listening to? I think I do, but before we get into that, I just I have to share something from the heart. I'm just looking right into the grill of the mic I'm uh, I'm using. It's not my mic, and there's like some sort of food or like <laughs> there's something in there that doesn't look happy. Can I see it? And yeah, take a look at that. It almost looks like like pudding or something. It looks like it got like pushed yeah. in and like dried. It's nasty. So. Don't use the mic that I'm using for the podcast or you'll get diseases and die. But yeah, so we're going to get in our first uh, topic, which is uh, what we're listening to this week. Uh, Dylan, what have you been listening to this week? Um, yeah, about that. Uh, I was going to do something a little different. Um, I know last week I did um, a movie kind of review um, of a documentary. Um I was going to do another review of a movie called um, Sing Street, which is a musical, I believe, uh, which has been recommended to me countless times, and I never got around to it. So uh, I don't have one for this week. So Dylan's got some homework to do uh, coming up for our Thursday episode, but I guess I can talk. I've been listening to, um, I mentioned in our last episode, um, Under Oath was a band that really inspired me to get into music and stuff like that. And, uh, I was going through just some old, um, YouTube videos that they'd had from, you know, like tour blogs and stuff like that. And, uh, it made me just really want to get into just going through their whole discography, even like the old stuff with, uh, the original singer, Dallas Taylor, the band was a lot, um, heavier, kind of like a, a traditional metal band. They wore all the spike stuff. They had the tattoos, um, all that stuff you generally tie into with metal bands. And uh, I've just been going through a lot of their old stuff and seeing how they've progressed as a band and uh, how they've changed. Um, the last album with Dallas Taylor was called The Changing of Times. And there's a lot of um, like electronic stuff on the record that if you compare it to, you know, the, the last um, record Aaron Gillespie was on called... Uh, Lost in the Sound of Separation, it's like super rock and roll. You can definitely tell that there's, you know, Nirvana, Led Zeppelin sort of like inspiration in it mixed in with the traditional heavy bands and stuff like that. So it's kind of cool to just see how 
you know, a band like that, that's inspired me has drawn on their own inspirations to do different stuff. If I had to pick one album, um, I'd probably have to go with, uh, define the great line, which is, uh, I guess it's technically their fifth album, but it's their second with Spencer Chamberlain, which is really what most people think of under oath. That's that's the lineup they're thinking, but it had songs on it like "In Regards to Myself," which is the first Under Oath song I ever heard. It's such such, such a good song. It's such a good it song, starts yeah. with that cool film mm-hmm. projector thing. Mm-hmm. Um, "Running on the Walls" is a great song. Yep. I would say that was most people's introduction to Under Oath was "Running on the Walls." Yeah, because it got on a lot of like compilation yeah. CDs. Like, um, what was the one that Much did? Oh, um, or YTV, uh, big shiny tunes, big shiny tunes. It wasn't on that, but like those sort of, when those were popular, those were the kind of compilations they did. And they even did, um, not a lot of people know this. There's a police tribute album called Policia and, um, under oath does a cover of a police song called wrapped around your finger. Really? And uh, it's mainly Aaron Gillespie that sings. And then Spencer will do, um, kind of some screaming stuff over it, but it's, uh, if you haven't heard of it, check it out on YouTube. I don't think it's on iTunes anymore. It might be on Spotify, but, uh, if you, yeah, check it out on iTunes or sorry, YouTube, um, under oath wrapped around your finger and uh, maybe we'll put a link into it when we post this, so you can check it out, but that's a, that's a cool one too. Yeah, that's awesome. So, um, now we're going to talk about, uh, this day in music. So in 1969, while working at Apple studios in London, the Beatles, uh, with Billy Preston on keyboards, recorded 10 takes of a new song called Get Back, which mm. could be one of my faves. I'm not 100% sure. Would this be the one where they refer to JoJo getting back? Um, Get Back JoJo, yeah. That's the one. Yeah, sweet Loretta. Um, in 1971... George Harrison became the first solo Beatle to have a number one when My Sweet Lord went to the top of the UK single charts. The song from his All Things Must Pass album stayed at number one for five weeks. The track returned to the top of the UK charts in 2002 following his death. It seems that anytime a band dies, or not a band, but like an artist dies, um, the music automatically gets super popular. I noticed yeah. it... Um, George Michael recently died on Christmas day, mm-hmm. like pretty much the day after or for the next week or so on the main page of iTunes was George Michael, George Michael, George Michael. And I guess I, I kind of see it in two ways where, um, it's cool that, you know, you can go back on an artist and that's inspired you and that you really like and stuff mm-hmm. like that. That's cool. But then I think there's also like a negative side to it where people capitalize on their death. Oh, like definitely. as soon as he died, For like, sure. I don't know if, if any of you guys have ever been to Memphis, but it's been how many years since Elvis has died. <laughs> and in, on Beale street, the main like strip in Memphis, all the shops have still have like Elvis merchandise, yeah. Elvis clocks, Elvis everything. <clears throat> and like, even to get into Graceland is like super expensive to get in. And like, it's kind of a bummer that people that really appreciate the music and, you know, appreciate him as an artist can't you know afford to to see some of that history yeah. right that music history i uh, i have a good quick story about um stuff like that is when uh, i went to romania a few years ago it was like two weeks maybe after um michael jackson died and i was in um the heathrow airport in london and there were shelves of biographies written about him oh yeah so 
these are people who had been spending most of their life writing about Michael Jackson, just waiting for him to die to release those books. That was the same thing with Steve Jobs. Like yeah. almost within a week of him, yeah. you know, of his death, it was already like published in, in the bookstore. I mean, he's ready he, to go. He hasn't even been dead for five years and he's already had like three or four movies made about him. Yeah. 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 So, um, the next one is in 1988, Nirvana recorded a 10 song demo with, uh, Seattle producer, Jack, uh, and, and Dino, I believe it's pronounced, uh, at Sub Pop Records, the uh, the boss of which, uh, Jonathan Poneman, uh, heard the tape and offered to put uh, out a Nirvana single. Do you know what the single was that he, he put out? No, it was probably School. So this would have been like early Nirvana. It would have been um, stuff off of like Bleach. Okay. Because 1988 is when they released Bleach. So this probably would have been right before that. Um, in 1990, Alan Collins, guitarist from Leonard Skinner, died of pneumonia after being ill for several months. Collins, who was one of the founding members, also co-wrote most of the band's songs, including Freebird, uh, with late f- uh, frontman Ronnie Van Zant. The funny thing about Freebird is it's actually a really good song, yeah. right? And even Wonderwall is like, it's a good song, but when anytime you go to an open mic or you're at a jam, someone's got to yell out Wonderwall or Freebird. And it kind of yeah. like, it becomes almost like it's a joke song when, you know, both of those songs were like hits and yeah. they made a lot of money for these artists. And I'm just as much to blame. I remember we were doing... We were playing this show in Etobicoke one uh, one time, and uh, Jesse and Dylan, I forget what it was, they were, they were coming down from London, and they were going to meet Jordan and I at the venue, and for whatever reason, they didn't make it in time to play. So Jordan and I ended up doing the show just acoustically, and um, Wonderwall and Boulevard of Broken Dreams are the same chords. So we kind of ended up doing a <laughs> mashup of... Uh, you know, every other verse we'd switch songs and, you know, we got the audience involved a little bit, but I even said on the stage, like I told myself I'd never sing Wonderwall live at a show. Cause I thought it's so cheesy, but like, it actually is a pretty solid tune. I'm not even going to say anything. Dylan loves, I don't like Oasis, Oasis and, uh, Noel Gallagher. I don't like either of those things. Um, there's actually a bit more to the story. Um, he was, he survived the plane crash in 1977 that killed two other band members. Collins was behind the wheel in a car accident in 1986 that killed his girlfriend and left him paralyzed from the waist down. Um, that story is going to come into play on our next episode. Foreshadowing. Mm. Uh, he later pleaded, pleaded no contest to v- uh, v- vehicular manslaughter, uh, as well as driving under the influence of alcohol. In 1991, John Sebastian, owner and general manager of KLSK-FM in Albuquerque, New Mexico, played Led Zeppelin's Stairway to Heaven for 24 solid hours to inaugurate a format change to classic rock. Police showed up with guns drawn um, once after a listener reported that the DJ had apparently suffered a heart attack and later began uh, and later because of suspicion that this being eight days into the Gulf War, uh, the radio station had been taken hostage by terrorist dispatch by Zeppelin freak Saddam Hussein. So apparently Saddam Hussein was a Led Zeppelin fan. So this is something that actually happened or yes. the police thought this is this no, happened no, no. because so, that's why it was playing so yeah, many times. Yeah, it was playing for 24 hours straight. So they thought that he'd either died of a heart attack yeah. and no one was checking in on him for 24 hours or that it had been taken hostage and 
because apparently Saddam Hussein was such a big Led Zeppelin fan. That he just played Stairway? <laughs> That's, man. Um, That's kind of funny because radio stations, when they do, when there's a new radio station, I can't remember if it's 24 hours or if it's a week, but you have to have... I think it's the same song play like on repeat so that they can test all the signals and stuff before it actually becomes like an official live right. station. Yeah. So like, I don't know how long ago that was that the stairway to heaven thing was, but uh, it, 1991, it, it seems like it, like, I mean, the rules of radio probably haven't changed that much. So it almost no. would have made sense that like yeah. if, if they knew well, it, no. it, it says they were doing it because they were changing to classic rock. So okay. they would have been originally some other kind of radio station. Yeah. Um, and then the last one is in 2014, Justin Bieber was arrested after racing his yellow Lamborghini <laughs> against another sports car uh, on a Miami beach street. Police said the singer did not cooperate when pulled over. Also charged him with resisting arrest without uh, violence and having an expired driver's license. The 19-year-old singer was granted bail uh, set at $2,500. $2,500, which is not a lot of money for Justin Bieber. Not really, no. I think he's worth almost double that in net value. At least. At least. Yeah, I don't. I think he's worth uh, probably like a thousand times more. Oh, I'm sure. So that's been uh, This Day in Music. Mm -hmm. Um, Make sure you check out the episode on Thursday where we're going to be talking about more stuff. We we decided that this was going to be a topic that we do every episode just because there's there's so much different content you can talk about. Plus, you know, we don't want to miss a day if something really cool happened. So uh, yeah, make sure you check out the podcast on Thursday and we'll have some more exciting uh, music history news. Yep. So uh, we're going to go into tour stories, um, of which I have a pretty interesting one. I don't know if you have one this week. I'll, uh, I'll save mine for Thursday. Okay. I'm really proud of this episode. Maybe we won't be... Uh, I don't know if we'll be doing two stories every every episode. But no, we'll see. You're gonna run out eventually. You're not that big of a deal. Um, so I, uh, because I don't have as much on the road experience as Brandon does, um, I've been sort of uh, digging into the past. And uh, uh, my dad was a musician, so I did get to spend uh, a little bit of time around musicians when I was a kid. So this one is is one from my childhood. And uh, I think after the story, you're going to be able to dictate whether or not I have great parents. Um, Uh, so (laughs) there was this Toronto based movie. It was an independent film that came out in, I think 2003, uh, called Goldie rocks, um, which was about a blonde girl who, uh, is really into like the garage rock scene. And she, um, ends out hanging out with a band, uh, a real band, like they are a band in real life. They're called Blurtonia. Love them. I don't know if you've ever heard of them. No. Uh, they're, I, they might be Toronto based. I'm not hundred percent sure. Um, they weren't called Blurtonia in the, in the movie. They might've actually been called Goldie Rocks, but I can't remember. So she ends up hanging out with them and it was an adult oriented movie. There was some, some questionable language. So, um, one day, uh, how, how old are you at this time? Well, it's 2003. I would have been, um, Nine, maybe? Nine. Eight or nine, yeah. So they filmed a lot of it in Toronto. Actually, they filmed all of it in Toronto. And um, one of the scenes they filmed at Lee's Palace, which was a concert scene. And uh, it was kind of cool to get to see how a movie is made when you have live music playing in a movie. But it's not exactly what I expected. So like being nine years old and seeing the end result after which was like, it blew me away. So what they did was they, um, 
my mom actually got to be in the shot too. And my dad was in the movie as well. Uh, his band, the chickens, uh, they were on stage for one of the scenes. So that was the scene that I got, I got to be around for the shooting. They had everybody in the crowd and my mom was out there. The main actress was out there and she was talking to her friend for, for this, uh, for this scene really loud, but there was no band on stage. Like it was just them on the, the dance floor at Lee's palace, right. Shouting at each other their lines at each other, but there was nobody on stage. I'm pretty sure there wasn't even a drum set. So I was like, that's kind of weird, because isn't this supposed to be a scene where there's a band playing? And then that night, they shot like a few hours of bands playing on the stage, and then they edited it all together at the end. Yeah. So what they would do is they would have a shot from the stage looking down into the crowd of the actors and the actresses talking and, and whatever and dancing, and then it would shoot back up at the stage and then they would have like shots of them dancing with the bands on stage so they shot the, the all the talking parts completely different and then edited all the sound and after and like i'm a big movie person so i think that probably helped fuel my love of movies and, and movie production and whatnot so it's just really cool to see that and then of course because i have such great parents uh, they took us to the premiere of this movie um, this is the only scene they had seen in the whole movie was, was the one that they shot, um, that they were in. Yeah. So they hadn't seen anything. They didn't know the rating. Well, the rating was R. I was eight and my brother was six and I learned what the F word meant. Fire truck. Well, that one too. Um, I saw some suggestible scenes and, um, I mean, I turned out pretty, pretty great. So got a pretty good beard going right now. I do. I know. I'm afraid it's going to brush into the the mic but yeah so it was not a kid's film but it was kind of cool to get to see how um a music-based movie was filled have you seen the movie like since then i have uh it was on tv a couple times Um, okay because it'd be cool seeing it like i'm sure when you were nine or ten or however you were old you were watching it and compared to getting most of it yeah exactly like compared to you know how old you were the other times you've seen it you probably have a different perspective on Mm -hmm. the movie too so that's, uh, for sure. That's cool. Yeah. So that is my tour story for this week. Very fancy. We're going to be talking about, uh, this is our main segment uh, for the first, uh, I guess our second episode, excuse me. Yep. Um, we're going to be talking about the best and the worst of 2016. Um, obviously, 2016 started off pretty rough. There was a lot of, um, a lot of bands that broke up and artists passed away. Um, even pretty much up to the last like 10 minutes, Mariah Carey's terrible, (laughs) whatever happened there. I mean, talk about not great stage presence and no, but anyway, so yeah, but there was a lot of good stuff that happened. Um, obviously it's more fun to talk about the bad stuff because, uh, that's what makes the social media things for some yeah. reason people cared about a monkey getting shot and that went on way uh, excuse longer. me harambe was a gorilla he's not a monkey oh my apologies you, you know there's a difference between monkeys and apes right well i'm not defending harambe or anything i'm just saying that dylan has a, a harambe tattoo on his chest and it has a harambe in script right across it's, it, it, it does not it's one of those like old scene emo Look, looking things. here's the whole thing about the Harambe thing. It was funny for like 10 minutes. 10 minutes, yeah, it was funny because it's it's something that doesn't happen every day. And I, I think it was funny because the world freaked out about them like shooting a gorilla 
and there was a bunch of like protesters and stuff who were saying, you know, that's animal abuse, but they weren't considering the fact that there was a kid in there and they had to think about the kid first. Right. Yeah. But it just, all the memes went way too far. And it's even like, it's 2017. Like we're recording this January 22nd. Yeah. And, uh, even like this past week, like I'm still seeing things that say Harambe or, you know, there's shot glasses now that say, take a shot, um, Harambe did. Yeah. And well, it's like, they've, they've capitalized on it. Just like when an artist dies, they capitalize on it well, so much. I don't, I don't want to get into this too much, but what happens is if like a meme or something pops up on the internet, um, it won't become viral in marketing right away. What will happen is um, around Christmas of this year, probably, Hot Topic will start selling Harambe shirts. And by then, it's and already Christmas dead. Christmas sweaters. Yeah, and it's already dead. But all the kids still buy them. That's, That's the thing. You, you can, as much as it's as it's dead, I think it was dead the same day. <laughs> I mean... It died with it Harambe. It died with Harambe. <laughs> but we are talking way too much about this. Way too much. Yeah. But yeah, so starting off, I think, um, correct me if I'm wrong, the first artist to die of 2016, was it David Bowie? Yeah, I believe it was or David Or was Bowie, it Lemmy? Yes. Oh. No, I think Lemmy died in 2015. No, it was 2016, for sure. What? Yeah, then he might have died before David Bowie. I know it was both January. January was a big yeah. one, because I remember, like, mm-hmm. as it was almost every week, there was some artist that had died. Oh, and even, even a few um, actors. I yeah. mean... Um, I don't know if it was January or February that Alan Rickman died. Alan Rickman died. Um, um, and then you got Prince died not long after that. Prince died. Carrie Fisher died. Carrie Fisher. Well, that was more recently. Um, uh, Kenny Baker died, if you know who Kenny Baker is. Uh, he is the guy who plays um, R2-D2. Leonard Cohen died, too. I was pretty bummed to hear about that. Yeah, I'm just pulling up a list of uh, all the musicians that died. Uh, George Michael. Um, so George Michael, yeah, Christmas Day. I remember we were having... Um, like a Christmas Day dinner at my place, and I saw George Michael died, mm-hmm. Leon Russell died, Prince died, and that one was—I um, think they, they said it was—it was a drug thing, right? The final um, ruling. I, I didn't hear like the the final ruling about it. Merle Haggard died. Mm-hmm. Um, obviously, Oki from Muskogee. I was in Muskogee um, on one of the last tours I did, and uh, it, it was cool being in the town that the song was written after. Mm-hmm. Uh, Frank Sinatra Jr. died. Wow, this is crazy. Looking at it all now, everyone. It is, you you almost um, you forget because the, there's it's so like you think going back to January, February, March 2016 was such a long time ago. Yeah, right. That like you you do forget. Yeah, Maurice White, who was um, the founder of Earth, Wind, and Fire. If you I don't know if you're into that kind of music. Yeah, Earth, Wind, yeah. and Fire is good. Yeah, like good them. times. Yeah, David Bowie again. Yeah, David Bowie died of. Uh, of cancer, though. Yeah. A lot well, of, um, you know, mus- musicians, obviously, there's the 27 Club. There's a lot of mm-hmm. bands that die because of drug overdoses and, you know, bad lifestyle habits. And I'm sure David Bowie is very much into that. But, um, you know, at 69, I want to believe he wasn't a coke addict. No, right? I, yeah. Um, and it's it's interesting looking back at the at the previous, like, two years, I think. Uh, before he died because, um, well, yeah, it says here he, he had cancer for 18 months. And um, uh, there you've heard of the movie Guardians of the Galaxy, right? Yeah. Well, he was actually being considered for a role in the second film uh, but had to turn it down. And uh, 
I mean, that because probably, of his health. Yeah, but he didn't say because of his health. Like right. he, he kept it all under wraps. Right? Yeah, it was the same with Alan Rickman. Like Alan Rickman wasn't taking any movie roles um, because of his health, but he didn't want anybody to know because, I mean, it makes sense, right? Because if you you know you say I have cancer, then people are going to be, you know, mourning your death prematurely. Essentially, sure. especially yeah. in Hollywood, you wanna, especially as as a public figure. Um, I mean, you look I at think a, you, you'd want to go out on, on a good note. Yeah. You wouldn't want, I don't want to say false sympathy, but mm-hmm. I think there's a lot of that and you don't want to be remembered at the end of your life as someone of being sick. Like David Bowie had released his final album, black star two days before he, he passed away. Yeah. And you know, it was, it was on the iTunes charts. It was, everyone was talking about it. And then that was sort of his final goodbye. Yeah. Obviously he knew he'd be dying. Maybe not that soon, but maybe not that soon, but he knew this would be like yeah. his final release. And some of the songs on the album um, are pretty dark. Yeah. Well, like lyrically, yeah. even some of the music videos, like it's, you can tell it's a very heavy, um, heavy vibe that comes off of these final songs from David Bowie. Um, yeah. And a couple things on, on that is um, uh, if you've ever listened to the album, uh, the vampire of time and memory, I believe it was what it called. Um, That's Queens of the Stone Age. Queens of the Stone yeah. Age. Yeah. They, uh, he actually wrote that album after having a near death experience. Uh, Josh Homme did. Oh yeah. And I mean, that's a pretty dark album. There's some dark songs on there, but if even watch, um, this year's performances of an artist like, um, uh, Gord Downey, mm-hmm. um, he broke down a lot of times on stage. Because oh, especially he, that last, the CBC. Yeah. I mean, he, he realized that, you know, what he's leaving behind and people were, were there kind of like celebrating him before he, he'd even passed, but I mean, he's still alive. But um, he's he's put out music since then. There was that yeah. the secret paths. Well, I don't um, think he knows exactly how long. Like he is terminal, but I don't think he knows how I'm long. I'm sure he has. he has an idea, but he yeah, doesn't want to probably doesn't want to say make it public, which, yeah. which is understandable. Yeah, but yeah, and kind of that going back. I know we were talking about not some, you know, wanting to get into the hype of bands because they're dying or because it, it's not. You know, you might not have the chance to see them much longer, but. I've never been a huge fan of the Tragically Hip growing up. I I, I mean, Gord Downey, um, never had any disrespect for the guy. I just no. I was never into the hip. But no, probably within the past six months, um, and I'm sure some of it is because it's the end. I've I've kind of given it a bit more of a chance and I've gone I've dug deep a bit more into their catalog and which is something I never did, and that's probably why I never really got into them. Because obviously there's a lot of bands that you, you hear the, the radio singles and you're not into it, but when you go in, you hear some of the B sides on albums and stuff that didn't make the radio. There's really Mm -hmm. good, good music. And I do like a lot of like the radio, um, like New Orleans is sinking is a great song, lots of stuff from the hip that I I do like now. And I'm sure part of that is because there was so much media attention on the band and Gord Downey that, um, you know, I gave it a chance. I, I, I dug in a bit more. I, I still wouldn't say I'm, I'm not a huge fan of it, but I can definitely appreciate it more as a Canadian because yeah. there's a lot of very Canadian themes and topics in the writing and, uh, you know, stuff I can relate to. Same thing with like some of the Gordon Lightfoot songs, very Canadian music, but I, I've gotten a bit more into the Tragically Hip since uh, there's been all that media attention around them. Yeah. Um, my my dad's always liked them, but my mom hasn't always been the biggest fan. Um, I think Gord Downey kind of bothers her sometimes. Um, but I think like hearing them on the radio and everything, and, and I listen to a couple different radio stations. One of them has, uh, a, a segment, uh, it starts around four o'clock called head and home with the hip. Okay. And 
uh, I think it's 94, nine and you know, they just play like every other song is a, is a tragically hip song. And, you know, I listen to it. I'm like, you know, why, why are there so many people who don't like these guys? They're pretty good. Like they have, they have some good songs. They do definitely have a lot of great songs. There is, um, kind of going to some of the bands that broke up in, uh, 2016, or even albums that turned 10 in 2016. The first one that comes to mind for me um, is Yellow Card. Again, um, a band that I think you either you really like them or you're not a fan of them. I was never a huge Yellow Card fan, but I always did like the band. Ocean Avenue was obviously the first song I heard, and I got to... Uh, I worked Warp Tour one year. I was doing some stage stuff, and uh, so I was backstage for Yellow Card. And uh, just seeing some of those songs, the way that people get into it and they have that love for music and bands and everything like that. I think that's such a cool thing about music, especially today when there's so much anger in the world and, you know, so many different things. There's people will argue about music, but people don't fight over music. I think the same way that they do over everything else. And you can't really get offended as much by music. I'm sure people well, do. Yeah, the, I, I think there there are um, people who do get offended by certain music. Um, I know, or not not offended, but I think there's a lot of people who are just are not willing to give certain bands a try. And like I, I, I've I've tried to show some people some Christian bands who aren't necessarily gospel or worship bands, but a band like Dance of a Crutch, who's like a rock band. Sure. And they won't listen to them because they're just like, when they sing about Jesus. I'm like, well, yeah. Most but- of the time, that's <laughs> even not really the case. Like- no, it's not. Like, and, and then you have people who are like massive collective soul fans. I'm like, I've been a collective soul fan since the late 90s. And they'll be like, Heaven let your light shine down. Yeah. And they'll be like, you know, they're they're Christian, right? And they'll be like, no. I'm like, yeah. Yep. They, they've been Christian the entire time. Creed. Yeah, Creed, there you go. <laughs> With arms wide open. <laughs> Scott Staff. Yeah. Uh, I, we can't seem to find any bands that have broken up this year. I know there's, off the top of my head, um, we're just going through some stuff online, and I know there are bands. I don't know why Yellow Card's the only one coming to mind. Do you want to go into um, our albums then? Sure, let's do our favorite albums of uh, 2016. Uh, I'll, I'll go through my top five. Um, if you also have yours, like in memory or whatever. Yeah. I have mine right in front of me. So for number five of my, uh, best albums of 2016 prayers and triangles by the Deftones. Now I have been into the Deftones, um, like at the level I am right now, which is like, I listen to them all the time for like uh, a year or two now. Um, but I've, they've always sort of lingered as this band. I, I liked, um, they used to feature their songs on some of the old NHL games. And, um, <clears throat> my mom really liked them. She actually went to see them a couple of times and, uh, I just like their deep sound and they have this, um, sad drivey sound about them. His, uh, the voice of the lead singer, I cannot remember his name, uh, just really gets me. I mean, he's got such a, um, a weird, slow, quiet voice, but like when he needs to scream, he can scream. Yeah. And uh, I think that's just what like really um, or drove me to them. But their last two albums, 
weren't that great. I just, I didn't like, like a lot of stuff on them, but this, this most recent album, if you're a old Deftones fan, I would definitely recommend it. Like if you like their older stuff, I've never really listened to Deftones, but when you said you really like the one album, um, does it sound different musically than the other ones? Like, is there something about yeah, that album it's, that it's, it's different, but it's drawing from their old sounds. Okay. And I would say, I wouldn't be surprised if, um, under oath was inspired by them. Sure. Yeah. They I have, think I'd, I'd, I'd see that. They have a lot of the same tones in their guitars. Um, for four, number four is the getaway by the red hot chili peppers, which, um, I'll be honest when, when I found out that they were coming out with a new album, I was kind of like, yeah, you know, I like the red hot chili peppers. Don't go me wrong. They're one of my favorite bands, but I've just, I've gone to that point where I feel like every rock band is just going to let you down. And it's just going to be like that. A, a band is, is what you could consider classic now um, as the red hot chili peppers. You know, maybe this album is going to be their Chinese democracy. You know, you know, maybe it's going to be their last hurrah. Um, but they, it, like it blew all expectations out of the water. Um, great album. So many good songs on there. You got the, the title track, the getaway, um, go robot. Uh, the, the one that was on the radio all the time that I can't remember the name of right now with the funky bass line. You referred uh, Chinese democracy to a final hurrah. Do you think that Guns N' Roses is considering Chinese democracy their final hurrah? Well, no, but what I mean is like when when someone like Axl Rose says, I'm putting out a new album as Guns N' Roses, yeah. and then you come out with something like Chinese democracy. Right. That's you, not That's not what the people wanted. That's a terrible album. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> any, I think anything Guns N' Roses past like the '90s, not good, kind of sucks. Yeah, um, but yeah, honestly, that uh, if you like the Red Hot Chili Peppers and maybe you didn't listen to that album because you were afraid that it was gonna suck, it doesn't suck. Uh, number three would be Transit Blues by The Devil Wears Prada. Yes, this is a band I've. Um, I'm, I'm like I'm not really into the the metalcore and the screamo scene. Um, I, you know, I, I dabble. I like under oath. I like guys like bring me the horizon. Um, I've never had a problem with liking the devil wears Prada. Um, I'd say their zombie EP really hooked me. I thought it was awesome that they could write a whole EP about zombie theme songs. I think that was the same time that I want to say you and I wrote the song. I think it was just you though, that wrote, um, the hollow body song zombies. Probably. That I think we, we you, you had tried. That's to, right. Because actually write- I, I think I'd, I'd seen them or I just missed them at Warp Tour that year. And then okay. I came back and I was looking at the zombie EP and I wanted one of their shirts from their stand, but I didn't end up buying it. Um, and I'm like, man, I should write a song about zombies. Cause it was also around the time that the walking dead had started. Yeah. So I think I was just kind of on a zombie high dude. Missing bands at Warp Tour is the worst decision you can ever make. And I, I learned the hard way when I was working at Warp Tour a couple of years ago, um, Anne Berlin was playing and I'm, I really liked the band Anne Berlin. And I, I told myself, I'm like, no, nah, you know, like I'm hanging out backstage. I'll just, I'll, I'll catch them another time. Like no problem. And uh, I think it was the following year they announced that they would be doing their final tour and breaking up. And uh, a friend of mine had offered me a ticket to go. I'd never seen the band. So I was really excited to be able to see them on their last tour. And then their bus got stuck in a snowstorm mm. and I never got to see ambulance. Oh, so if you're at Warp Tour, go see the bands. Don't say you'll see them next time. Cause you might not. I got 
lots of good stories about Warp Tour that I can share. We'll have to do an episode on Warp Tour. Yeah. Well, maybe we'll, let's do, we'll say next Monday will be um, Warp Tour edition. Yeah, sure. Of the podcast. That's fine. Uh, so number two for me is Exhale by Thousand Foot Crutch. Um, I don't think I've ever disliked a Thousand Foot Crutch album. Um, I've loved this band for like ever now. Um, I really got into them in like late middle school, like, you know, grade seven, grade eight. And it was just a good alternative to like what a lot of people were listening to. And it's, it's not like if I wasn't listening to thousand for crutch, I would be listening to the, uh, these other bands because I don't like them anyway. But like a lot of people will listen to stuff like, um, bullet from my Valentine and such. And I just be like, oh, that's so overdone. That weird metal, you know, protest the hero, sure. escape the fate. And yeah. I was listening to stuff like thousand for crutch and sure. A few people might have considered me lame, but I was like, we did these guys can rock. And I, I mean, I've seen them live, uh, you know, a dozen times and, they never cease to amaze me. I mean, uh, Trevor McNevin like can belt it. Like he can sing and he, he gets red and, uh, he's quite wild on stage and, um, their drummer just like a joy to watch. Yeah. Just Steve, like cr- Steve Augustine. Yeah. Just crushing those symbols. Uh, and so last, well, I guess first, um, is where the light shines through by switchfoot, which is, um, I don't know, man. It's their wasting light, I think. Yeah, yeah, yeah I can see that. Yeah, it's it's, um, it's really good. I really, really like it. Um, I was impressed, and uh, you know what? Fading West had some good songs. Um, I wasn't blown away by it. Uh, I get what they were trying to do, and I feel like um, they, they. I I often compare them to the Foo Fighters in terms of like they're like the Christian Foo Fighters because they're the big rock stars in in Christian music. They they kind of did their own thing with Fading West where they tried to blend their life of um, surfing and with their life of music. And then they wrote a, an album about surfing and yeah. and, and stuff like that. Kind of like Sonic Highways. And that's, yeah, Sonic Highways was their love of music history in each city and they were blending it with their music. Which is the Foo Fighters. Which is the yeah. Foo Fighters, yes. And they both, both were good albums, but it was kind of a, a like stray away from what they were what they usually do. Yeah. And, um, I'm just, I'm just glad to, to see that Switchfoot is, is doing this. Like, I mean, float that song float is so good stuff. Like where the light shines through the song, Holy water reminds me of, of old Switchfoot. Yeah. And going back to like the early two thousands. Definitely. Yeah. So th- that's my top five. Cool. I'll share my, uh, top five and then we'll wrap up, uh, for today's episode. But I think I'm not going to put mine in any order these are just the, probably the top five albums that I've really enjoyed. I've taken an appreciation to pop music. Um, I used to just, I love rock music. That's just, you know, the music that I learned to play growing up. I, I tour with a pop band. So I've been able to kind of understand and appreciate the pop style of music um, from the writing and to the hook. And, you know, it's easy to make fun of pop music on the radio, but it's hard to write a good pop song. So I think the first one I'm going to mention is uh, Sia's album, This Is Acting. Um, Sia obviously is known both as a writer and, uh, and a musician herself. She's done writing for Rihanna and you know countless other artists. And the album, This Is Acting, is all songs that she had pitched to you know major label pop artists that they had turned down. So she decided to put them out. And uh, just a couple songs off the album, uh, Cheap Thrills was a huge hit. 
Um, Alive was a huge hit. Reaper even was uh, was a big one. Produced by Kanye West. Not a fan of Kanye myself, but it's a good song. And uh, I can appreciate kind of the back end of pop music a bit more now. Um, the next one I'm going to mention is Hard Love by Needs Breathe, a band I've always wanted to see. And uh, I think we've been at a couple festivals that like were there the day before or like the day after they're there. And I just, I always miss Need to Breathe. But yeah, the album Hard Love, it's really cool because there's tastes of like rock, but folk and even some like, not country, but very like, very folky rock stuff. If you know um, Need to Breathe, there's great harmonies. There's electronic stuff in it, um, like samples and stuff. But then you have slide guitar. You've got a big, you know, huge drum sounds. It's a very raw sounding album that's very produced, if that makes any sense. Continuing, I think Dangerous Woman, Ariana Grande. Um, again, going with the pop stuff. Almost every song on that album was that an album? I or is it really just a single? like. No, it's it's an album. Oh, okay. um, Dangerous Woman obviously was was the single off the album, um, but there's a lot of really good stuff. Uh, be all right, yeah. Be all right into you, uh, side to side. Again, I don't like Nicki Minaj, but that's a good song. Super catchy. So yeah, check out Ariana Grande, um, Dangerous Woman. Then I'm gonna go with. Reliant K's uh, Air for Free. Yeah, I've always been a huge fan of Reliant K uh, growing up. And their previous album to Air for Free was called Collapsible Lung. And I had a hard time getting into it at first because... Would you I, say you didn't know what you were getting into? I'm getting into you. Oh, is that what the song called? That's it. Don't okay. test me. But Collapsible Lung was a very poppy album. And I always love like the rock mm-hmm. uh, five score and seven years ago um, albums like that um, but then as I was saying like I gained a greater appreciation for the writing of pop music and how it's all put together and there's some really good songs on there Matt Thiessen is a great writer and he does a lot of writing for other bands too that I didn't know and then for my final album is going to be I'm going to say it's a tie um, between Yellow Card's final album which is just self-titled um, there's a lot of really good stuff on there. And then some friends of mine in the band Viridia put out a single called Still Breathing. So I'll say that because uh, it's only a single. It's not a full album that um, can kind of sneak in there. But uh, it's a... Uh, I'll let it slide. It's a great, great song. They're a, a female-fronted band, um, rock band, and she's just got a killer, killer voice. Um, great programming, great live stuff, everything about... Um, the live performance and the song I, I really enjoy. So that's going to be my five and a half um, <laughs> albums for 2016. This is also going to wrap up the episode for Monday, um, January 23rd, 2017. Yes. So uh, stay tuned for uh, the next episode coming out on Thursday, which we're going to be talking about. Uh, we're going to be talking about our musical guilty pleasures. Guilty pleasures. So if you guys have any guilty pleasures that um, you, know, you want to talk about, maybe put it in the comments of this podcast or on Facebook and stuff. Um, maybe some stuff we can shout out. Um, and remember, you like what you like. So what I would consider a guilty pleasure is not necessarily like, I like pop music, but maybe something you, you preach out against. So me, I'm not a big hip hop fan, but there are some hip hop, hip hop artists that I do like. So that'll be like my list. Or, I mean, if you like Aqua, 
that's totally up to you, man. But yeah, so thanks for listening to the second official podcast episode of Out of Tune. And uh, I've been Brandon Lurishan. And I've been Dylan Haywood. Thanks for listening. I'll feed this in.